welcome to C3 Wellington and Hutt City. Need something fresh, real and powerful in your life? Connect with us on social media, get podcast notifications, updates on events, collective groups and a whole lot more. We're so glad you're joining us for a powerful and thought-provoking message from one of our pastors. We would love to hear how God has touched you in your life. Get in touch through our website, c3churchwellington.nz. So, sit back and enjoy this message. We're in week number two of a series called Above All. And uh, at the start of the year in January, I was just, just seeking God and asking, what, where do you want us to go this year when it comes to message series? Uh, what are the things you want us to tackle? And it really felt like one of the things that God wanted us to tackle as a church is the subject, is the topic of holiness. And I, I tell you, we've got, uh, I look out on, uh, on this, in this amazing crowd and I just see a lot of young people and I, I'm really thankful, man, God, thank you that you sent young adults to, to, be, to build this church and to do life with us. You know, God has put a mantle, a mandate, a calling on our church to reach young adults. Now that's not the only generation. We want to be a gener- we want to be a church that's multi-generational, multicultural, but God has specifically given us a lane to drive in. And I'm really grateful that we have this lane of young adults. I'm really passionate. And so look, I tell you that you are in a culture right now that has so much cross-culture, cross-current to what is the kingdom of God. And it's my responsibility as a shepherd of this house, uh, under the great shepherd of Jesus Christ, to guide you, lead you, to help point you towards some truths that are going to help free you and help you live the life that God's called you to live. And so this, is a, this, this message series above all is all about the subject of holiness. And it came out of our key verse, which we're going to look at right now. And that is Psalm 27, verse 4. And if you missed last week, the podcast will be up soon. <laughs> soon. We will let you know, but the podcast will be up soon. But here we go, week two. But our same key verse is this, Psalm 27, verse 4. Here's the one thing I crave from God. The one thing I seek above all else. Such a great question to ask ourselves. We, we tackled this last week in the message titled, The Pursuit. What is the pursuit of your life? Where is the trajectory of your life? What is the thing that you are desiring, going after, seeking above all other things? You see, we need to lean into David, the psalmist here, and he answers this great question, but the question needs to be asked and answered by every single one of us. Here's David's response. I want the privilege of living with him, with God, every moment in his house, finding the sweet loveliness of his face, Filled with awe, delighting in His glory and grace. I want to live my life so close to Him that He takes pleasure in my every prayer. What a great craving. What a great thing to seek above all else. You want to be close to God. You want to spend your life close. You see, the heart of our church... Let me just let the cat out of the bag. Our mission statement of a church, and it's got to go beyond the mission statement of the heart of the people, is that we desire all people to bring those that are far from God close to Him. To bring people that are far from God close to Him. And I'm not just talking about a one-time decision. I'm not just talking about salvation. We all need a step closer to God. What is the one thing that we're craving and seeking above all else? Last week we said that the pursuit of happiness is a pursuit that is like a carrot in front of the donkey, but there's a greater pursuit and that is the pursuit of God. Tonight I want to lean into 
this line that David said, I want the privilege of living with him every moment in his house, his house, in God's house, God's dwelling place. See, God in the Old Testament, his dwelling place was a really fancy box called the Ark of Covenant. And the presence of God traveled with his people, the Israelites. The Israelites spent a lot of time homeless, wandering. So God traveled in the ark, his presence in the ark, traveling with his people. It would, they would find a place to camp. They would set up a tent. The ark would go into that tent. Then they'd build this thing called the tabernacle. Moses came with plans for the tabernacle and they built this tabernacle, this temporary dwelling that set up that housed the presence of God. And you see, God brought them into their promised land, brought them into the land of Canaan, and then they established for them judges, people to rule on behalf of God over the people. But then the people, they wanted a king. The Israelites wanted a king. And so they appointed Saul as their king. Yet throughout the reign of Saul, God still stayed in a tent until we come to the reign of David. We come to the reign of this psalmist who says this beautiful verse in Psalm 27 verse 4, the cry of his heart, what is seeking above all. We come to David and you see David was anointed as king. You see, David loved God's presence so much that he wanted to build a house for him that was worthy of his presence. And so we turn, we see in 2 Samuel 7 verse 1 to 3, this moment in David's kingship. It says this, Now when the king David lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, the king David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go to all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. See, then David went about, he went about planning and preparing a temple for God to dwell. This temple was extravagant. It was awe-inspiring. And they spared no expense. Let me tell you, the temple came at great cost, personal sacrifice. It cost to build this temple for the presence of God to dwell. I went into a little bit of a Wikipedia search to find out kind of how much this temple cost. Listen to this. The gold and silver alone used in Solomon's temple. You see, David had the plans and David prepared it and it was his heart and his vision, but his son Solomon got to build it. The gold and silver alone to use in Solomon's temple was worth 216 billion 603 million 576 thousand dollars that's where you go whoa I'll say that again the silver and gold that they used to build the temple to house the presence of God cost 216 billion 603 million 576 thousand dollars and that's not even including the precious metals, bronze, iron, ivory, or cedar that the wood would use, the 
or the wood that they used to build the temple. And this is a picture of holiness. This is a picture of holiness. 2 Samuel 7 verse 8. This is David again. We're following on actually. This is the prophet Nathan. He says, Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus say the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. You see, David knew salvation from God. David knew the goodness of God. David knew the purpose of God. You see, he was taken from the pasture to the prince. He was taken from a shepherd to a king. He knew the salvation and the goodness of his God. His response out of his life was, you are so good, God, I can only but do all I can at great cost to create a place for you to dwell. At great cost. He thought, God, you're worth it. You're worth all the gold, all the silver, all the precious metals. You're so much more worthy than a tent, than canvas and string and sticks. You see, he knew that his response was to honour God by creating a dwelling place fit for God. That's holiness. See, in the Old Testament, God dwelt in the ark in the tabernacle and in the temple, but in the New Testament, God dwells in you and me. You are the temple of God, the place of his dwelling. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 says this, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? John 14, 17, the The words of Jesus says this, even the spirit of truth with caught up half sentence whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. You see, God went from dwelling in a box, dwelling with his people in the box to the Lord Jesus came. He took on sin. He took it on firsthand for you and me and he beat it so that we could end up in a relationship with Jesus but not only saved from sin, not only in relationship with Jesus but that Jesus would send the Spirit of God to dwell in us so that we might live a life to overcome this world, to be the very nature, the very hands and feet of Jesus to the world around us. He is calling to come to dwell in you, the very spirit and presence of God in you. Isn't that the most powerful, amazing reality? You see, we don't even have to struggle with sin. We've got a spirit that will help us overcome it. We don't have to struggle with addiction. Struggle. We don't have, we've got a spirit of God who is over all things, will help us through. Freedom comes. Through the Spirit of God. And the most beautiful thing for me is that your life gets to declare the grace and mercy and love of God. You are now the canvas in which He he presents Himself to the world around you. Come on, the goodness, the greatness, and the awe of God displayed in your life. Displayed in your life and mine. This, This is the definition of holiness. To be consecrated, dedicated, Set apart, purified. The theological term is sanctification or to be sanctified. And uh, I think we can 
see this term sanctification or sanctified? It's just, I, don't know, I, I don't know what your picture is for me, but it's almost like your picture is, but for me it's almost like we can see it as like becoming, I don't know, like this like monk life where we're just like in the zen and nothing goes wrong. We're just kind of like we've made it, you know, like, you know, like nirvana or something like that, you know, but like God, no, it's a struggle. It's a struggle, but you see, God is wanting to bring you into freedom, bring you into purpose, bring you into calling, bring you, you know, he's wanting to lead you somewhere for your good. But I, I found this definition quite helpful and I hope it helps you too. It's from Bradford A. Mullen. If the guy's name's Bradford A. Mullen, you know it's going to be good. When they give the middle name initial, the guy's probably quite smart, right? Bradford A. Mullen explains it like this. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. The state of proper functioning. To sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. A pen is sanctified when used to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when used to improve sight. In the theological sense, things are sanctified when they are used for the purpose God intends. A human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. Come on, to sanctify something, someone or something, to set that person or thing apart for the, for the use intended by its designer. Hmm. Let's recap quickly last week. The Westminster Catechism said that the purpose of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. The purpose of every person is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You see, John Piper said that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. The greater the depth of relationship, the greater your depth of joy will be, and the greater your life will display Him. Come on, this is the truth. Discipleship, I love Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message. He said it this way, that discipleship is a long obedience in the same direction. A long obedience in the same direction. And every day we have a choice. Every day we have a choice, obedience or disobedience. And our choices create the heading of our life. They set our course. So what's the course? What's the heading of our lives? You see, we are the temple of God. God is wanting to radiate through your life His goodness to the world around you. I've got a verse here, Romans 12, 1 and 2 from the message. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walk around, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside 
out, readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops, develops well-formed maturity in you. Come on, the writer is exhorting us that our response to the grace, mercy, and love of God should be to move away from the things that would diminish the presence of God, away from the things that would quench His presence, that would stand in opposition to His presence, and towards those things that would host His presence, increase His presence, that our lives would be worship. That the love of Jesus would be painted on the canvas of our life for all to see. And I have this question that I've kicked around for some years and I love it and I want to exhort you today with this question and ask yourself this, two questions actually. Number one, what in my life stirs my affection for Jesus? What in my life stirs my affection for Jesus? And the opposite question what in my life robs me of my affection for Jesus? So really important questions to ask, you see, because God is not after behavior modification. God is not after you begrudging submission. God is not after you white knuckling your way through life so that by the end of it, hey, it might have sucked, but at least you get eternity. That is not God's plan for your life. God is wanting to overwhelm you, captivate you, show himself to be so attractive to you, and he is. There is nothing greater than Jesus Christ. There is no love that you could experience that would outstrip it. There is no relationship that you could build that would, out, that would be better. There's nothing greater than Jesus Christ, and his presence is available for you and for me right now. And he wants to build in you a, a display of his splendor and his grace and his mercy. You see, there's no sin that he can't overcome. There's no wrong that he can't right. There's nothing that you can do that could separate you from his love. He's paid the price for every single one of those things, and he says, I love you, I'm not disappointed in you. Come to me and let me display myself through you. You see, but there is an obedience that needs to come from those decisions. You see, I see it like two sides of a bicycle. You know, God wants to respond and He wants to initiate. Excuse me, He wants to initiate, but we have to respond. Come on, it came at great cost to build the temple, and that was bricks and mortar. It might have been gold and, and silver and precious things worth a lot of money, but you're more valuable. You're more worthy of the presence of God. Your life is so much more valuable. Jesus didn't die for gold and silver. He died for you. You know, the only thing we take from this earth is the very thing sitting in the seats tonight. Nothing else but people. When, when God says that if, you, if I can trust you with the little things, I'll entrust you with much. I will entrust you with true riches, he says. By the way that we handle earthly money is the, is the correct situation. The way that you handle earthly money will, will, will show me if I can trust you with true riches. And true riches isn't more money. True riches is people. Because your purpose is all about people. Your calling is all about people. And God wants to display through you himself. Therefore, he is calling us to holiness. Holiness just means more of Jesus. In you and in me. 
I know I haven't given you a title of this message. I'm saving that to the end. What in my life stirs my affection for Jesus? What in my life robs me of my affection for Jesus? Come on, it's all about relationship. I'll say it, there's no more air in my lungs. And Paul says these words, and my exhortation is that I hope and pray that this would be the echo of your heart. And they have this in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, that we make it our aim to please him. Now, he's not after perfection, right? You can't be perfect. The same right, the same man that wrote this also wrote, wrote in, in Romans, I think it's Romans 6, he says, I do the things I shouldn't, and I don't do the things I should. I have a wrestle in my spirit of flesh and spirit, inside me, of flesh and spirit. And that wrestle goes from here to the grave. But you see, what happens is we, we have this overwhelming sense of the goodness of God towards us, the grace of God towards us. See, David understood. David got it. I was in the pasture. I was the least of my family, but you came. You picked me up. You pulled me out. You placed me in the palace. Only by your hand could that have happened, God. I worship you with all my life, with all my heart, with all my affection. What has God done for us? So I'm going to play you, we're going to play you a video. And uh, it's only 45 seconds. And it was Paul Scanlon, uh, pastor of Life Church in the UK. And uh, he was at Presence Conference in Sydney last year, uh, 2017. And this is just an excerpt from one of his messages. And I think it's really poignant for this message tonight. So we're gonna play the clip and then I might give you the title of the message. And if we can hit these lights as well, that'd be great. God doesn't measure churches by attendance. God weighs them. Of how much Jesus there is in the church. You can't count that at all. But God has a way of weighing them. And the church can be 20,000 and the Holy Spirit's crying. Or it can be 20 and the Holy Spirit's dancing in the aisle. And I think we've settled for a false reading of what God's interested in. And we've built something else that we call the church, but I'm not sure it is. And we did that. So powerful. So powerful. God doesn't measure church by attendance. God weighs them of how much Jesus there is in the church. You can't count that at all. But God has a way of weighing them. And the church can be 20,000 and the Holy Spirit's crying. Or it could be 20 and the Holy Spirit's dancing up the aisle. He says, I think we've settled for a false reading of what God is interested in. And we've built something else that we call the church. But I'm not sure that it is. And we did that. This message is entitled, The Jesus Meter. The Jesus Meter. Because if our church was weighed, how much Jesus would there be? 
And if your life was weighed, how much Jesus would there be? So see before the outcome of holiness is more Jesus. Come on, we dabble with things. We think it doesn't matter. We wonder why we come into church and we can't connect. We wonder why we can't find that presence of God in worship. We wonder why there's an apathy creeping over our lives. Why, why it just, we just get disinterested. Why we don't even know why we just don't really want to go to church. Why we've lost a passion and a spark. Come on, God is calling us back into his presence. Calling us. Like I said, holiness costs. It costs David to build that temple. It'll cost us to build a temple that God will dwell in. But it costs Jesus more. (laughs) This is a great statement. I know this has been very personal, but let's bring it corporate for a second, hey? Statement says this. You can be committed to church and not committed to Jesus. You can be. People do church as a hobby all across the world. For all sorts of reasons. All sorts of reasons. Statement goes on to say, but you cannot be committed to Jesus and not committed to the church. You cannot love Jesus and not love what Jesus loves. You cannot be in love with Jesus and not love what he died for. You see, the purpose on your life is to build the church, to build his people. See, God's placed things in your life for my good. God's placed things in my life for your good. That the display of the grace, love and mercy of God in my life might lift you, might do something in your heart. You see, we have a part to play in one another's life. And the call to church is not a call to attendance, but a call to knit into a community of believers. Do you have a passion for the house of God? Do you have a passion for Jesus? And do you love what he loves? Come on, I hope for C3 Wellington is this. That there is one person who is elevated above everything else. Jesus. We want all roads to lead to him and from him. Here's our passion. Here's our pursuit. Here's our message. We are Jesus people, people. (laughs) And our hope for you is this, that Jesus would be your deepest delight, your highest treasure and your greatest pursuit. Jesus says it this way. Seek first my kingdom and I'll add everything else to your life. Trust me. Set your direction, your focus, your pursuit to me. You know, as a a pastor, here's some hopes I have for us. Our hope is that when people come into this house, into this family, they would sense something in the atmosphere. Now, whether they could say this or not, they would sense something in the atmosphere, and that is Jesus. They would experience something. They'd experience Jesus. Come on, his love, his generosity, 
his acceptance, honour, family, overflowing from the people of God. And above all, maybe not above all, careful this has been recorded, eh? (laughs) And they'd also find a home. They'd find a place to belong, a place of acceptance. You see, this message can seem heavy and weighty. But you see, God is just so passionate about you that you'd start the journey wherever you're at. You'd start the journey towards him. That we'd take steps towards him. That we wouldn't dance around the fire, but that we'd come towards it. That we'd just come close. Because he's after a relationship with you. See, David longed. Sorry, I'll say this again. David loved God so much that he built him a temple to dwell in. A temple worthy of the presence of God. A temple that came at great cost. A temple that many people were able to encounter the presence of God through. And God wants to do the same with you. In you. He's calling you to holiness. He's calling you to Jesus. I want you to stand. Posed a couple of questions in this message. I mean, we zero in on this. Can we have a moment of reflection? <coughs> what in your life stirs your affections for Jesus? Come on, what is the thing that God is calling you to cultivate again? What is the thing that that you feel God saying, come on, come back to that. Come back to that. And what in your life robs you of affection for Jesus? Is it a relationship? Is it, what is it? What is the thing that, or things that could rob you of your affection, that dull you, that harden you? See, no one goes out the door one day and just becomes... An addict. It doesn't happen in a day. It happens in a gradual numbing, a gradual moving, just a hardening, a a wearing down over, over some time. And then all of a sudden it takes hold and takes a grip. You see, God, God's calling you back to a passion. Wants you to remember, wants you to remember that moment where he gripped your heart. It's the stirring you. I love again for him. Come on, we have a choice every day, don't we? Every day. And our choices create the heading of our life. So in this moment right now, come on, just a moment between you and God. Come on, the Holy Spirit is in this place. Can we do business with God? On Pentecost Sunday, we talked about hosting the presence of God, hosting the Holy Spirit, and that we can reject and quench. But one of the things that brings God close again is repentance. It's the same in any relationship. When there is distance, when there is something that comes between you, you've got to deal with it. 
You can't sweep it under the rug because the relationship suffers. But the moment you acknowledge it, the moment you deal with it, you come back into closeness. You come back into relationship. That is repentance. It's acknowledging those things that would put distance between you and God. What is God calling you to repent from tonight? You see, your heart is the seat of your life. God has wanted to place his desires, his passions into you. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's just reach out. Take a moment. See, God, I'm coming back. Come on, against apathy. Apathy's taken hold of your life. It's crept into your relationship with God. You can take it or leave it. Come, God wants to break that off your life tonight. He's got so much for us. So much for you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Father God, we just thank you. At such great cost, the highest price possible, you paid it. For us. Jesus, you gave your life for us. And you are calling us into a life where we get to display the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God. And you are calling us back into our intended purpose, Father, tonight. You are calling us back into rhythm, back into relationship that we get to live so closely with you, walk with you, walk on adventure with you, purpose with you. Father God, that we get to display you. Father God, right now we, we say that we are that you forgive us, Lord, of the things in our life that have that have that have caused us to to walk away, caused us to move towards apathy. God, that have allowed uh, maybe dishonor to come into our into our life God today we repent of those things and we come back that we would be a vessel worthy of the presence of the living God God we want more Jesus in this church I want more Jesus in my life Father I pray that you would cleanse us make us make us vessels Lord Jesus that would display reflect you to the world around us Thank you, God, that there's nothing that we have done that the cross hasn't covered. Thank you for the grace found in you. Thank you that there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are convicting where you're leading us to life because of love. Drawing us into relationship, pulling us close. May the cry of our hearts be to bring people far from God close to Him. 
for that to be the cry of our heart, we need to be close. We need to be close. May we keep walking together as a church, as a people, closer and closer and closer into the presence of God for your glory, for your renown, for your name, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Amen.